What's up, you guys? I'm your host, Michael Swoboda, and this is the Average Alaskan Podcast, the show where we cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of Alaskan outdoors and life here in Alaska. Like always, I'm joined by the wonderful Mr. Sean Love. What's up, guys? And this week is officially the last episode that we will be recording at the Love Shack. We have finally got internet up and running at the new home of the podcast and we will be building out the studio here shortly so super excited to keep moving forward with that and we've enjoyed our time here oh yeah i mean samantha will be excited about (laughs) (laughs) exactly miss jacobson's uh come down to her last straws and is officially kicking us out (laughs) (laughs) no she's she's been a trooper through this whole process and uh We're just glad she let us uh, let us do it through this hectic time, but we will officially be recording, hopefully, just about every episode from its new home here starting next week. Other than that, we've got a couple things I want to address. Some big news in the hunting world. We usually don't dive too much into hunting politics and that, but we're going to try and do a little bit more of that, just, uh, you know, any important matters and there was a big ruling for anybody that's into public land or public land access uh if you're not familiar corner crossing uh is has been an issue in the past it's where blocks of public land are sectioned off due to private land being in what you can kind of picture as a checkered board uh configuration and Legally, you cannot go corner to corner and cross that imaginary uh, line, which would be the corner. And four hunters were charged with trespassing. It went to court. And as of, I believe, yesterday, or it might have been the day before, but I believe it was yesterday, Monday, the all charges were dismissed and they were found not guilty of it, which is a big move forward for public land access, which is awesome for all public land hunters here in the U.S. Of course, that battle is going to continue for a while. That is just the tip of the iceberg, but it's a good step in the right direction. And other than that, I think that was everything. I knew I had one other thing. It'll pop to me later. We might come back and address it maybe at the end of the episode. But anyways, that's the important stuff. Today, we've got a super exciting interview I'm looking forward to. We've got author, podcast host, and fellow Alaskan outdoorsman, Jeff Lund. He is the host of The Mediocre Alaskan, and the author of A Miserable Life in Paradise, Life in Southeast Alaska. And that's just going to be the tip of what we talk about on this episode, I'm sure. So I hope you guys enjoy. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest, Mr. Jeff Lund. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, Jeff Lund, like uh, like you said, podcaster, uh, writer, live in uh, Ketchikan, Alaska. I grew up on Prince of Wales Island, and uh, after a short stint after college teaching California, teaching high school in California, I moved back to uh, the greatest place on earth, the miserable paradise in southeast Alaska. Well, we're glad to have you back in the in the proper state. So, <laughs> Yeah. No, how long of a tenure did you have down in California? Uh funny you say uh, 10 year because it was exactly 10 years it was one of those things where i knew i wasn't going to stay but then two years becomes four years and the four years becomes eight years and all of a sudden it's like whoa i'm uh 
I never intended to have roots and I'm in danger of growing them. I got to do something about this. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So were you uh, born up here in Alaska then and then transplant down to California and made your way back up then? We, uh, my family moved up to Klawak when I was five. Uh, they're both teachers. And uh, so I was born in Colorado, but moved up when I was real young. So I did all my school and all my, and my growing up was in uh, Klawak and I came home every summer during college. And then when I was teaching in California, as soon as school was out, like the day after school was out, I was on a plane come to, to come up here and fish and hike and, and do all that stuff. And then I would head back down the day before teachers were supposed to report. So I, I wanted nothing to do with uh, California during the summer because it was so good up here. And I just kind of smell my fingers and and look for the scales in my hair and I would just grow everything out and as soon as I my hands healed from all the fishing I knew it had been a while since I was in I was in Alaska and that was kind of a a mark of sadness you know because uh, once the fishing season's over and and, you, and you're not picking out any more dirt in the cuticles and and all the little scratches from the uh, fish teeth heal then uh it's really, really over, and it's kind of sad. So, no, without after ten years, then finally moved back. No, without a doubt, there's always, you know, even just for us when summer comes to an end, and you know exactly, you don't stink like halibut or salmon anymore, and like you said, your hands heal up. And it's just uh, one of those things. It's a bittersweet moment, especially with when knowing those first snowflakes are coming, and it's just you know, it's the process up here. We always running at a red line during the summer, getting it all in, soaking it in. Cause luckily we've got just, you know, a limitless backyard up here with hiking, camping, fishing, hunting. And, you know, it's a great, great place to take advantage of that. And it's great to hear that even when you were out of state that you were able to get up here and, you know, squeeze everything you could out of it before uh, having to head back. And I'm sure uh, yeah. California, like I've, when I was off at college in the Dakotas, had a ton of teammates and classmates that were from uh, California, and they ranted and raved about how amazing it was. And I don't doubt it by any means, but it's hard to compete with life up here. Once you've once you've gotten to be up here and experience some of it, it's it's a hard uh, itch to itch to get rid of. You know, it's it's always yeah. there. It's always in the back of your mind. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there was a better place to live maybe 150, 200 years ago than California. You know, the Sacramento River had, they had a run of king salmon that went up every every season there was. It was just crazy the amount of, of fish that were in the area and then steelhead. They had steelhead all the way down in the L.A. River, which is just insanity to think about now. Anything living in the steelhead river except for carp and, you know, grocery carts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you, you had elk there and you had... Uh, grizzly bears there it's just unbelievable to think and then the mcleod rainbow trout is, was transplanted down to patagonia and those massive trout that people are catching down there are you know native to, to california it's just an amazing place but you know our, our footprint and uh humans you know we we find nice places and we uh do a really good job of telling other people about it and moving people there. And ultimately we have uh, too many people and, and ruins things, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still pretty, uh, pretty cool in, in some spots where it can't be too touched by, by people, but man, it's just a, just a mess of people. No, that's every time uh, we get ready to record an episode. That's one of the thoughts that go through my head. I love nothing more than, you know, 
telling people about how amazing Alaska is and the limitless opportunities. But part of me is like, am I the problem? Like, are we part of the issue? <laughs> Think about it all the time. I know. <laughs> For sure. Just kind of the human nature, you know, like you said, our our reach is limitless and we just kind of, you know, our footprint is never, never less than it was the day before, unfortunately. And that's just kind of how expansion and growth is and the nature of it. And I'm just, you know, I count my blessings every day that we live in a place that has as much opportunity and uh, open public land that we can use and utilize and still, you know, I mean, we can go out every season and hunt doll sheep with an over the counter tag where, you know, that's just an unheard of, um, thought for every other place in the United States. So you gotta yeah. love it. Yeah. You're hoping, you're hoping to draw your tag. And then if you draw your tag, you're hoping it's in a good spot. You know, that's what you're, you're dealing with in, the, in other areas. My wife was getting her PhD at university of Wyoming she had an opportunity to get some pretty good tags as a resident, but you know, you're not, you don't have the the ability for these free over the counter tags. It's unbelievable up here and people don't believe it. And I think some of the reason why you probably started the podcast and one of the reasons why I started my podcast was to tell people what it's like here year round. But like you said, you know, being part of the problem, because we want to give a voice to the people who live here, live here year round rather than just the people who come up from wherever and they make their pilgrimage and they talk about how awesome it was and how amazing it was and how hardcore they are because they came up here. You know, we want to give the voice to the full-time Alaskan, but in doing so, you know, are we advocating more people to come up here and take advantage of all the great things we have? Well, maybe, but you know, we're all hypocrites uh, on some level, I guess. Exactly. And hopefully, you know, we always joke around, at least here in uh, the Homer area, I always call it the the three-year rule. We get plenty of transplants that come up and they love it. They can't stop talking about it. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Let's uh, let's set a date and let's talk about it in three years. And if you're still here, we can continue to talk about it because it kind of seems <laughs> yeah. like that's the that's the deadline. Most people, if they can make it past the three-year mark, it's, you know, they'll be here for a good, you know, at least 10, 15 years. But usually within those first three years, the either the winner or whatever it be, you know, the not the not having the access to a Costco or movie theaters it you know it, it withers away at a lot of people but luckily uh, enough of us up here are accustomed to the lifestyle and can really thrive in it thankfully and you know they, I think Alaska does a good job of keeping its own borders for individuals that can't make it up here yeah I, I think the winters are cumulative the first winter I was back it was so dark and I had to kind of get my mindset back to when I was growing up here and just what did you do to cope? And mostly that was playing basketball, but as an adult, I wasn't playing or coaching. So it's just a different feeling. And then made it through there. Second winter was better, but then the third winter just felt like all three winters piled up on me. And so I thought, Oh man, this is, this is kind of tough, but, uh, <laughs> You get through it, and then it makes the the communities are so strong because they're made up with people who get through things together. And so there's no shortage of opportunities for people to get together, and you know whether it be festivals or art fairs or art walks or just going to the high school basketball games or something. There's a lot of opportunities for people to get together and get through the the winters together, and that's I think that's the key. If if you are 
if you don't break free of your down south tendencies, and if you aren't where you're at, then you're just going to be thinking about what you're missing out on. And it's going to have to be totally miserable, I would assume. Oh, yeah. And I think that was just uh, – I'm going to blank on the word I was going to use. That's all right. But uh, it was just made so much worse the last couple of years with uh, – COVID, unfortunately, and like how you were saying, the winters are accumulative. This winter kind of was one of those winters for me. I usually do just fine, but it just felt like this winter just wouldn't let go. And things were, I was like, man, things just feel different. And I was trying to figure it out, you know, talking with some of my buddies. And I was like, I think it's just because how you spoke to the community aspect. Homer's, you know, very similar in that way The you know, everybody's always at all the home basketball games there's always some form of community activity going and there's just you can always find that sense of community but unfortunately due to covid there was you know a ton of stress put on you know not being around each other and you know it just it makes everything so much worse throughout the winters and stuff when you don't have that you know that family and community aspect uh to kind of lighten the spirits and just keep you know keep you occupied and keep you kind of marching forward and it's finally, I know here, like we're gearing up to do uh, uh, this this Saturday, just doing a spit cleanup, getting out and, you know, getting the community together, going and cleaning up some trash, getting ready for the summer and stuff. And it's just nice to, you know, get back into the swing of doing everything together and getting the community back together because it was just so strange over the last couple of years not having that uh, that interaction with everybody. Yeah, you had to really go out yeah. there and seek it out be able to go out and see people otherwise it just wasn't gonna happen Mm -hmm. and it was one of those deals where you know you were alienated in a way for doing so just due to the you know the polarization the covid had uh that even you know seeking out and going out of your way to do that you either internally felt guilty or you you would limit yourself to some extent for both you know public safety but also for kind of you know public ridicule you didn't want to be seen as an issue or something like that throughout the matter. And so you, a lot of it was, you know, self-governing yourself in that, which was definitely a detriment to everybody's mental health. I know it was a detriment (laughs) to my own, but we finally have come to the light of that tunnel, I believe. And I'm glad to, you know, hopefully this will be the last time I ever bring it up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, My wife and I got married uh, last June and I, I, God, we got engaged on a deer hunt in 2020 when things were, were really weird. And it crossed our minds for a second about, you know, should we just delay it and wait till COVID? Like, no, we're not going to think and wait for this thing to be over to have it. So we actually did not invite any locals to the wedding. We just invited people from out of state thinking that that way there wouldn't be a mix. And that way, if, you know, people brought it in, it was just kind of our logic. Like, no one, no one local. That way we're not mixing with other people. We'll, we'll abide by the guidelines, wherever catch can is at that point. But it was kind of stressful thinking about, you know, how many people we wanted to invite versus how many could make it. So it was small. And then the honeymoon, we went up there to Kenai Peninsula. And it was weird because as we we're driving down toward Homer, we were thinking, what does this place look like when everybody is, you know, in RVs? And what's a normal, it was June. So I think it was kind of the earlier season for you guys, but. You know, what is this normally like? Is it just wall-to-wall RVs? Are we going to get to home where it's going to be a ghost town? But we got down there and saw that there were some businesses open and there were some RVs and there were people. And 
that famous bakery you guys have there had a long line outside and everyone was wearing masks and we couldn't see the menus. I guess we could wait in line, but we wanted to get back and do some, some fishing on the casino, so we didn't stay there too long. So we got a little tour of, of, of Homer and uh, it was pretty cool. But um, yeah, I can't imagine what it's, what it's going to be like on a full-fledged back-to-normal summer. Yeah, we're gearing up for that right now. And it's, it has been strange because, yeah, the last two years, I mean, we haven't had cruise ships coming through town. We haven't had, because some years, I mean, the every RV park from pretty much Kasiloff down to Homer is just plumb full and overflowing. And, you know, our poor one street light in the middle of town just can't <laughs> can't handle it sometimes. And, yeah. Um, but the last couple of years, you know, so many businesses – have been shut down some still still so and you know luckily a lot of uh the local homer businesses they financially were able to close their doors and not be it you know they were able to kind of just take a leave of absence and not many you know permanently shut down and there's plenty of uh local support but it was just it was odd because there were still you know still things happening still tourists coming through but it just wasn't the same and kind of like you spoke to it's you know you have that thought of what it would be like in a normal year and you know for us here seeing it it's just we haven't we haven't gone back to 100 percent capacity and it's just been strange but I think this year will be the you know kind of the turning of that tide and getting to get back to normal which it's honestly been kind of a nice break in during the summers because it's given us the opportunity to enjoy some of uh homer (laughs) and uh just as ourselves and not having to worry about any crowds or anything like that so it's been nice to some extent but it'll be really nice just to see it back full swing and because i love you know I love for other people to see it down here because it is truly, uh, I mean, a gorgeous place, just like, you know, Southeast Alaska, all of Alaska, really, but especially South Central and Southeast. It's just a truly amazing place in the summer and late spring. And, you know, there's very few places on the earth, I would argue, that can compete with it. Shorebird weekend this weekend. Mm. Things are starting to seriously start bustling. People are opening up and it's going to be a good weekend. Be exciting. Too bad I don't have a nice spotter to go look at the birds anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I wanted to touch, you had brought it up earlier about, you know, kind of just touched on it. The reason why you started your podcast and, uh, the reason we had, and that was a question I had for you. I was, you're coming up on almost 300 episodes now. And I just had, you know, wanted to know when you started your podcast and what were the initial drivers that made you want to start the podcast and then continue and to the point where you're still, still pursuing it and, you know, closing in on almost 300 episodes. Uh, well, I got, I got a degree in journalism, so I was, like, writing in that newspaper sort of way, and it was mostly covering sports. So I was at University of Arizona, so, of course, you know, you want to cover the men's basketball team there. I had a lot of fun doing that, but didn't think I wanted to do that for a career. So once I started my teaching career, I picked up a column in a local paper in 2008. So I've been writing a newspaper a column since 2008 when I moved back to Alaska in 2013. I kind of thought that maybe there was, in addition to freelance writing and in addition to column writing, there was maybe something else I wanted to do. And I didn't really know what to do. And a buddy of mine said, dude, you should start a podcast. And I said, dude, that's perfect. So October of 2017, I think, uh, was when I started. And it was just, you know, real 
clunky and the sound quality is not very good, but I just wanted to talk to some people that were local. And then I thought, well, I don't talk to whoever I want to talk to. This is, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. beholden to any sort of sponsor, any sort of editor. I'll talk to whoever I want. So it kind of evolved. And I've talked about, you know, some politics and some fitness and some, you know, Alaska living and just all kinds of stuff and down South hunting, but just kind of what I'm doing. Um, and it wasn't until really maybe last, spring where I really started putting a lot more time into it. I was kind of clunking along doing the thing and uh, just putting more time into, you know, I invest more money into better sound and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's been, it's been quite a while now. I'm 300 episodes. It's, it's, I guess it goes fast. I don't know. <laughs> happened. No, I, I, I can agree with that. I mean, we just started this here uh, on the solstice. So December of 2021 and i mean just seeing the you know we're i think this will be episode 20 uh not including any of our little bonus episodes or episodes that we do out hunting but it just you know a year ago this was just a thought of mine and it just all of a sudden we're you know kind of trying to jump into the deep end and put you know more and more time and effort and you know resources into it and it's just a really really neat process and i'd like to thank you personally because your podcast was one of the reasons why we started this i began kind of consuming podcasts as a you know as a form of media during the pandemic i'd listened to some you know here and there prior to that but the pandemic kind of gave us all some free time and really started diving into that media uh and as I was trying to, cause I enjoy all, you know, all forms of different subjects from, you know, classic Joe Rogan or any, uh, comedic podcast, to any outdoors podcast. And I, you know, kept just trying to dive deeper into Alaska content and there was resources like yourself, uh, Tundra talk with Tyler Friel up North and a handful of others. But for those listening that aren't aware I mean, Alaska is such a massive state and Southeast is so much different than Western Alaska and Western Alaska is so much different than interior, interior different than South Central. And there just wasn't content that I could, you know, I could relate to all of it, but nothing of it, none of it felt kind of personal to where we were at and the stuff we were doing and, you know, just kind of wanting, like I was going through and saw one of your, uh, advertisements on Instagram and I just loved the kind of the slogan you had on there that you know nobody nobody starts as an expert in anything and that was kind of the ethos behind the name for ours you know average Alaskan we're two average individuals just trying to give our perspective on life in Alaska the outdoors and kind of playing going with a play on words of you know, nobody that lives up here and is a full-time, you know, Alaskan, especially if you're, you know, what I consider a true Alaskan, somebody indulging in the outdoors, just kind of taking the Alaska life to its fullest. None, no, no one of us is an average individual, like a kind of a, a traditional American citizen, any, any metropolitan area around the United States and just kind of felt that there needed to be a voice for kind of South Central Alaska and just give, you know, there's never enough there's so many people in the world and everybody's consuming media. There's never enough media. And I personally am not a huge fan of social media platforms just because of personal uh, mental health reasons. But, 
you know, I, I'm not much for reading or television. And this is just kind of the, the platform that spoke the most to me. And plus all my friends say I could have a conversation with a stump if it talked back, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but no, so I just wanted to, I kind of went down a rabbit hole there, but wanted to thank you personally for just having your podcast out there because it was definitely kind of a driver to, you know, force me to do this and just kind of continue to spread the word of Alaska and just give some insight to, you know, individuals out there that aren't getting all their resources from, you know, a podcast or a media source that's propped up by, you know, large large company or corporation behind it. You know, there's no, like you kind of mentioned, you're not uh, beholden to any sponsors or editors. And, you know, that's a beautiful thing about this media and just the world we live in now. You can talk with anybody and give you, you know, your true honest opinion on things and, you know, just let people know from all kinds of perspectives. And that's what we kind of just strive to do here is give you know, let the person out there that doesn't think they can go sheep hunting because they're not, you know, not fully kitted out in any uh, certain type of gear or don't have the most expensive stuff. And it's like, we're all, you know, at the end of the day, we're all just average individuals trying to do our best. And that's what we're kind of hoping to speak to that audience. And I think, you know, a lot of the content you put out and kind of the seems like the ethos behind what you do is very similar. And I, you know, applaud you for that. And I think there needs to be more voices like that, that kind of, you know, speak to people like people and not, uh, never talk down or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not a competition. You know, that's the thing that's been so cool about people that you have on is everyone has their unique voice and it's they're to treat it like a competition would be crazy. You know, it's great to be able to amplify fellow Alaskans and talk to fellow Alaskans and say, Hey, you know, tell me about homework. It's way different than here. And just getting cool ideas about, about what it's like and where to go. And then, you know, you develop these, your community grows. You have the community that you live in, in your town, but then you have this community of podcasters or, or other people who are in media around the state and it makes it so much, so much cool. And I, it, it was funny. I was thinking about, you know, the marketing of a podcast. And if you name it, the mediocre Alaskan, you know, would people not want to come on the podcast because it's named mediocre because I'm, I'm <laughs> mediocre or it, do I only have mediocre guests or would someone not want to come on there because you know, it was just kind of a weird marketing type thing. But, you know, you just kind of the idea that I'm just going to give the honest story of this is what it's like rather than pretend to be like the, the best Alaskan, like I'm number one, you know, and I never miss shots or I never lose fish. Like that's, it's not impossible. It's just totally impossible to, to do that sort of stuff. And, um, and so it's fun to just talk to other people who are living an authentic uh, life and, you know, marketing is whatever. If people want to listen to it, then that's cool. But, you know, just give the honest perspective is what we're going for. No, that's that's definitely, definitely the truth. And to speak on that, you're definitely a man of your word because, I mean, you reached out to me on Instagram, uh, shoot, probably a month or two months ago and just, you know, asking if I'd gotten in contact with anybody in the uh, podcast uh, scene up here in Alaska. And I hadn't at the time. And it was just kind of, it was one of those moments where I sat and I was like, because I had the, you know, same personal opinion of, you know, there's no, there's no sense in something like this being a competition. There's no, you know, that feast or famine mentality is just, nobody wins in that. 
and to grow a community, like you said. And when you reached out like that, it was immediately like, why don't, you know, I can do that exact same thing. I can reach out to whoever, anybody. And I always, you know, I always try and live by the saying, like the worst thing that can happen is somebody says no. Like if you ask mm -hmm. a question, the worst thing that can happen is, you know, they say no, you got a 50, 50 chance they either going to happen or it's not. And yeah. And if you don't ask, you're saying no for them. Exactly. And when you reached out, it just kind of that light bulb, you know, I had that thought in my head and I, you know, knew that that was the way it should be, but it took to you reaching out for that kind of light switch to flick and go, yeah, there are other people with that same, you know, mindset, that same ideology of, you know, just amplifying other voices. The only thing that's going to do is make the environment for everybody better. You know, if, you know, somebody else is podcast is successful, that's just bringing more attention to, you know, Alaska and the stuff we do, which is the original purpose of why we do this in the first place. And then it just, you know, it helps everybody out. And it's just such a, you know, inviting environment to be in as well. Like it just knowing that there's resources. If I need, uh, if I need somebody for anything in the Southeast to get some information on that, you know, being able to reach out to an, an individual like that, or if there's, you know, something I need to know about interior Alaska, knowing that you can reach out to somebody up there and just knowing that it's a, you know, open and free landscape to communicate and to learn and to evolve as individuals. It's just, it's such a unique mm -hmm. space that we live in now. Yeah, for sure. Uh oh, and to kind of transition from the podcast, I have to preface this with, I have not read your book and don't take that personally because this is, uh, as a teacher, I'm sure you're going to just, it's going to break your heart. I've never in my life read a book cover to cover, and that's not due to my lack of interest in them. I'm extremely dyslexic. And from a very young age, I've just struggled immensely with reading. And that was actually one of the reasons I got into this uh, media because it, I can talk. I just can't read. I, you know, yeah. For anybody out there listening that's like, oh, you're just being lazy. Me and my girlfriend sat down about, it was during the pandemic, but uh, to kind of sit down and prove some stuff because she's an exceptional reader. I mean, you know, top probably, you know, top percentile and, you know, of individuals in the world. She's extremely, she can read a textbook cover to cover in an afternoon. Crazy good. And I read at a second grade level <laughs> comprehension out of the world, you know, great comprehension. I just, the speed, it, it just, it's a struggle bus. So maybe mm -hmm. uh, if you have an audio book, I might have to pick that up, but I wanted uh, <laughs> the title. I'm a big title and picture guy. It caught my uh, eye and I couldn't relate more to it. And I wanted you to dive a little bit into that, what the content in that is and what uh, got you to write it because a miserable life in paradise can sum up Alaska so well to so many different extents. Um, yeah. So I set up to write the project um, over the course of one year to kind of give me a, a pace. So I would, I would attempt to write 5,000 words per month, which would put me at about 60,000 words for the year, which is a you know, shorter, shorter length book, but, but definitely a book length book. And so it was just, you know, this is what life is like in Ketchikan in January and kind of filling those gaps. There's so much content out there about hunting in um, July and August and September and October, you know, or fishing in June, July, August. So, you know, I wanted to really fill in those gaps. And so once uh, March rolled around, it went from winter steelhead and coping with the darkness and 
you know, going online shopping because, man, February is kind of the shopping season. You're starting to get starting to get a little bit excited for the summers and you start thinking about all the things that you might need this summer. And, man, Amazon just just fills that that void sometimes. And you just look around and you just got to be careful about that. Uh, but obviously with March came COVID. So I started to incorporate what it was like teaching during COVID it's just the last section of it. So each month was about 5,000 words, like I said, and split into four to five essays. And the last one was just kind of a, here's, I've got this thing in COVID and all of a sudden schools shut down and you know, what the heck are we doing? And as a teacher, am I providing any sort of value to these kids because everything's on zoom, you know, what are we going to do? And this is crazy. So, um, it was meant to be just Alaska and, and just living here but it ended up being kind of a, a time capsule living through COVID. And I was tempted to, but I didn't go back and edit April with the benefit of hindsight. So once things had changed and once October and, and November and December rolled around, we knew a lot more information than we did in March and April, but I, I left that all alone just so it was what I was thinking at the time. I didn't want to compromise it and, pretend that I had everything right or, you know, I called it from the start. So uh, it's just a month by month look at uh, 2020 through the eyes of um, someone who lives in Ketchikan. And during that time, I went down to Wyoming to visit my uh, then girlfriend who became my fiance during 2020. We got married last year. So, you know, I was one of those people who was traveling during COVID and we were putting up game cameras to hunt elk and all that. So, um, fishing, hunting, hiking, a little bit of teaching during COVID. That's the, that's the book. No, oh, that's awesome. And I'm trying to make it a, a point to myself to try and force myself to read just to, you know, exercise that muscle. Cause like anything, if I don't do it, I'm just not going to get better at it. Uh, and so I'll definitely have to add that to the cart. I do have to ask, do you have an audio book for it or is it all uh, print? I, I don't, it's just print. Um, I, I've played with, with doing an audio book, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I, it's, it's, when you, you know, when you go back and you listen to one of your podcasts, you say, gosh, dang, I should have said this, or, you know, you, you can't do that because you want to protect the integrity of the conversation. So if you go back and try to edit stuff or move stuff, it just doesn't work. And then you lose your, your continuity and you lose the um, authenticity of it. So it's just when I, when I go back and I read stuff that I wrote, sometimes I think, gosh, dang it, I should have changed that. Or I could edit this or, you know, so it's kind of hard for me to go back and read certain parts, but then other parts I'm thinking, dude, that's exactly, those are the words. Excellent job. And other times I'm like, dude, what is this trash? How can you, (laughs) how can you charge money for this? So uh, I don't know. It's, uh, I really enjoy it. It's definitely the, the best work that I've done, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. But, you know, you can't help but be somewhat critical with the, with your work, which I think is a good thing, but you just can't keep it from, you know, or keep it, make it prevent you from, from doing the work. No, without a doubt, and I couldn't have said that better. It's I I try and uh, avoid listening back to the episodes we record. I listen to any that I might have concerns about uh, audio quality or something like that. But uh, I, oh man, nothing worse than hearing your own voice on any type of recording. <laughs> <laughs> 
know. But, uh, and I can only imagine with a book, you know, especially putting in, you know, like a year's worth of time and you go back, you're like, man, that sentence from October was just wrong. Like that was just, I couldn't, yeah. you know, I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. imagine the amount of just like toying with that idea of, you know, going back and editing that. So, you know, good on yeah. you for, like you said, keeping the integrity of, you know, ex- you know, just the writing itself. And then I'm sure you translate that directly into your podcast as well. Cause you know, that's, that's why people listen and, you know, it still blows me away every time we post an episode and seeing people are listening to it. I'm like, really? Like you us? You hear my voice? Are <laughs> like, you kidding me? I don't what? even want to hear my voice. <laughs> like why? It's crazy. And then sometimes you, you think back to how it went and you're like, yeah, I think I made up a word, at least one word. <laughs> it doesn't even exist or it doesn't make any sense. Why would someone download it? Like right now there's someone driving to work listening to me talk about who knows what, you know, but <laughs> It's pretty cool, and you know, it's, it's again, there's value in all different types of podcasts. People want to listen to just like recaps of sheep hunts, and you're going to listen to the Tyler Friel's podcast, or you know, listen to a, a health and wellness or a personal growth podcast, or listen to Rogan talk about aliens. You know, there's there's always people who who want that, and they might rotate through, so they might listen to your podcast you know, two or three out of four episodes and then take a, a break for a month and come back to it. But, you know, as long as you get in the rotation, it's, it's pretty cool to know that someone is spending part of their day listening to what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Just knowing so- somebody out there cares about you. You that don't even know who fun. they are, but, you know, they, they know all about us. And No, that's that's one of those cool things. Like you said, there's you can never – everybody's got their own cup of tea. Like my girlfriend, it's every murder that's ever happened on the planet Earth. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she's a big fan hey. of that. But, yeah. but no, that's – that's awesome. Um, wanted to ask about, so has the, like hunting and fishing for a lot of people, you know, it's something that they grow up with. It's something they were introduced to by, you know, grandfather, father, uncle, mother, uh, kind of a family figure. Was it that something that growing up was always a part of your life or was it something that you kind of fell into a little later in life? Fishing definitely was. I remember fishing just all the time uh, riding my bike down to the river as, as young as I could as soon as my parents let my brother take me to the river my brother's three years older as soon as we could go solo that was we would go all the time and then as soon as when I when I as soon as I could go by myself I would I would get down there and so I just feel like I grew up on the river fishing but cross-country season went right into basketball season and so every weekend from August to the end of hunting season, we always had had games and whatnot. And, uh, my dad and mom had, had hunted some whitetail mule deer in Colorado and Nebraska. Um, so you know the blacktail being so much smaller and more difficult. And my brother and I were kind of younger and weren't really into it, so we didn't we didn't really uh, didn't really hunt. And I never I didn't shoot my first buck until I was thirty one. Uh, when I moved back and but it's been, it's been crazy. So I'm, I'm a late onset hunter, but you know, it's, it's funny how much I knew about bear and deer and cycles and all that stuff just by being out there fishing and just being out in the woods, you know, and you learn so much stuff that now that I'm kind of going back and I'm mining that for, you know, hunting tactics and tips and whatnot. But um, yeah, it's been great to add that to it. It's just, there's always something in season either to, to hunt or fish for up here. It's, it's pretty great. No, definitely. And that I'm kind of in that, 
a similar boat. I was so I was born on Kodiak Island, but uh, we moved down to Central Texas before I turned, you know, one right there at like 10, 11 months or so and grew up hunting and fishing down there primarily for whitetail and uh, Rio Grande Turkey and then fishing down, you know, pretty much any pond I could get into and then down on the coast. But we had moved back up here to Alaska going on 10 years now and we operate a fishing charter out of Homer and big game transporting both here on uh, the Southern Kenai Peninsula for black bear as well as blacktail deer and brown bear over on Kodiak. But kind of like you had mentioned with sports, uh, my kind of high school, so moved up uh, the day after my freshman year of high school. So I spent my high school years here in Homer, but all of our hunting seasons lined up with football season. And so that was my main priority spent, you know, all the falls uh, playing football, but we had this business and I spent, you know, all my free time helping transport hunters and taking people fishing and spent so much time in and around uh, the outdoors up here and doing my own fishing. Had time to, you know, the summer luckily is our main fishing season. So I was able to do plenty of fishing, but didn't get to do my own hunting up here until after college. I'd finished high school, was lucky enough to receive a football scholarship to play down in a small private school down in South Dakota. So I went and pursued that, got a degree in business management, uh, came back, and then I finally told my, it was right as luckily graduated before COVID started, so didn't have to deal with any, you know, online schooling outside of a couple finals here or there, but got back up here and I was like, I got to get, you know, I got to get back to it. You know, hunting, hunting was my first passion of life and, you know, spent every weekend of the fall down in Texas hunting every weekend in the spring chasing turkeys and then spent eight years here in Alaska, not being able to do it and getting to take, you know, got to help take several Boone and Crockett brown bear, tons of black bear, seeing, you know, loads of blacktail come back to the boat. But it was just almost, you know, it was this little tease, this little carrot that was dangling in front of my face. And I finally was like, you know, got back done with school. And I was like, this is what I'm dedicating, you know, the next couple years of my life at the, you know, minimum to. I was like, I got to get back in the mountains. I got to get in the woods. It's driving me crazy. I've been staring at this limitless yeah. playground forever. And then finally, you know, a couple years ago, uh, two years since. So COVID was 2020, graduated then. So last two years have been, you know, fully dedicated to the outdoors. Got my, you know, first buck over in Kodiak. Got done with a uh, cow caribou hunt uh, on ADAC in February. Now we're rolling right into spring bear and, you know, chasing those, trying to get, you know, a bear this spring, get Sean a bear. And it's, you know, just been full consume as much hunting content, live and breathe it because, you know, I've got plenty of information up in the head. I just don't get to exercise it as much as I like. And I finally, you know, focused on that and made that my sole, uh, kind of goal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to do it. You have to do it. You don't live here for the indoor life. <laughs> exactly. And it's so easy to, you know, sit there and say, you're going to say you're going to, and you know, so many people spend years, Oh, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. And it's just, you know, there's no better day than yesterday. You just gotta, you know, jump, jump off that cliff and go for it. You never, like you said, yeah. nobody starts as an expert. You got to baby steps, but Rain or shine. You're never going to find a better day in Alaska than yesterday. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, being down in Ketchikan, uh, primarily spending your time hunting black bear and uh, black-tailed deer then? Yeah, those are my two favorites. Alpine black-tailed deer is, is just, it's unlike anything else. That's definitely my favorite in, uh, in August. And then springtime, it's so nice to go for black bear just because you, you get to be outside and it's warmer, nicer for daylight. So that's just a lot of fun for just the camping and just the getting out perspective. This last weekend, we didn't get a bear. We did see one, but man, it was just nice to spend hours out on the beach, just hanging out, glassing, chatting, making coffee, just great to be out again. So I think the thing I like about black bear hunting is just that emergence from the winter and I found when I moved back here that I like the shoulder season so much. Summer is just a fast frenetic like you guys were talking about, but you know, April is a great month. May is a great month. Uh September is a great month, you know, and so those shoulder seasons are, are so great and a lot of fun to just do whatever is available to you. Oh, without a doubt, that was, I mean, that was our story two weekends ago. It was finally, you know, w- weather was warming up. It was still a little early for, you know, bear hunting, really, but we got out and, you know, got to do some camping, actually saw a surprising number of bears. We were able to uh, glass up 10 bears, several sets of sound cubs, and then had one shot opportunity, uh, but we passed on it. It was just kind of not an ideal situation, plus early in the day, but, man, we were just more taken away by the beautiful weather we had, and like you said, it's almost, you know, the bears are coming out of hibernation and so are we. <laughs> it's not a. It's not an average yeah. Alaskan podcast unless I stutter at least once. Um, but no, it's you know we're coming out of hibernation. Like you said, you get the longer days. It's warming up here. We get. Uh, I'm sure y'all get them down there as well. But the sandhill cranes start showing up. The moose are everywhere eating the green grass, and you know bears are starting to move. And like you said, the summer. You know, it's so busy. There's so much going on. You've got tons of daylight. So, you, you know, go to work, get off work, go to the river, spend eight hours on the river, come back, process fish, you know, put away. You're just, you're, you're so busy, you almost don't get to enjoy it. It's enjoyable in the moment, but uh, you don't ever get any kind of reflection time. And like you said, the shoulder seasons, you get to, you know, enjoy Alaska before it becomes hectic. You get to, you know, kind of stretch your legs, get back into the swing of things before, you know, diving into the real deep end of the year in summer and just kind of going crazy. Yeah. So for, uh, since you teach down there, your summers, do you get, uh, I'm assuming, you know, school's done. You, do you focus, do you spend the summer kind of focusing on, is that your vacation time of the year? Or are you focusing on other projects like writing? Um, what does that look like for you down there? I tend to just have as much fun as possible. My writing, I do try to get a little bit more done during the summer, but you know, I don't want to. I don't want to just unnecessarily busy myself. Um, I, I have. I really enjoy writing, but I like writing on my own terms. It's kind of like. Uh, the idea that if you make your hobby into your job, you might end up presenting it or it kind of loses that fun. So, you know, I, I do more writing during the summer, but also I don't, uh, I don't neglect fishing to get writing stuff done. So I don't go full tilt 
um, with that. So it's mostly just fishing and hanging out and having fun and, and then uh, getting some more writing done. And I, my column is every other week in the Juno Empire. So I get that done and I add more stuff to our website that my uh, wife and I run. But yeah, I don't, uh, I don't have any aspirations of, well, this summer I'm going to write a book or I'm going to read a whole bunch because, you know, like you got to treasure this summer. You know, if I'm inside trying to type, uh, type stuff out and, and do all that, then I'm missing out on some opportunities. So I definitely want to make sure that I have my fun first and recharge batteries so I'm a better teacher and then, you know, kind of write as it comes. No, that's, that's a good, good outlook on that. Cause exactly the summers, they go by, you know, so quick and there's so much to do. And, you know, that's, I'm sure one of the blessings of being a teacher up here, you get that kind of, you know, that time period to take full advantage of it. And that's, I mean, like you said, no reason to keep yourself busy work and kind of eat up the, the glory days of the year for, uh, you know, fishing up here and just, you know, camp and hiking, whatever it is that you want to do. So that's, that's probably, you know, that's exactly how I would go about it. You know, that's three months. I'd just nothing but be on the river or be out in the sun doing whatever. Well, yeah, you gotta do it. Oh yeah. And you mentioned, uh, you know, hunting down South. Is that something that you and your wife try and, you know, make a point of doing, or is that just kind of an opportunistic, uh, you know, if you like you were saying your, uh, wife was going to school in Wyoming was that just, you know, taking advantage of what you had at your table at that time? Or do you actively seek out opportunities to get out of state and do uh, whether, you know, hunting, fishing, camping, any type of outdoor stuff uh, in uh, different states? It was mostly just the fact that she was down there and she had to do research stuff during the summer. So I'd go down there and, and she would have to be there for, you know, she'd come up for a couple of weeks here and there. But, uh, you know, we would scout for elk and, I put in for uh, a couple tags. I drew a, a um, doe antelope tag and I drew a mule deer tag. So I was able to hunt those, but most of it was just kind of scouting with her and learning other um, parts of the state and just kind of getting Wyoming. I wouldn't say dialed in because, you know, we only did that for a couple of years, but it was fun to just kind of see and look at those opportunities. It doesn't make me want to get into that tag game. You know, you listen to these people, talk about tag strategies and, you know, get a go hunt subscription and, and man, just the amount of money that people put into tag applications and buying points and whatnot. I thought that's, that's crazy. <laughs> I definitely am going to buy some points in Wyoming because we put some time in and we know some of the territory and we know where some elk are and, and we've got some nice mule deer. So we've, we want to keep that as kind of our down South type hunt, but, we'd rather spend the money, you know, doing an adventure here in Alaska, especially, you know, she's a resident now rather than spend money to go down South and spend, you know, $800 if you happen to draw something or, or spend all the money on all these tags elsewhere, you can buy a ticket, go up North, you know, head up to, I'm heading up to Fairbanks to, to hunt the brooks in late July. And, you know, like that's just a no brainer. I could have spent that money on tags or preference points all across the West, trying to get a tag in Arizona in a couple of years or Colorado or Utah or whatever, but you know, just save that money and do what I have here. So, um, I guess short story long is that Wyoming is our down South hunting area. And then other than that, it's just going to be up here. 
No, that's, I think that's the best way to do it. Cause I mean, you can't, there's so much opportunity up here. You can't do it all in a lifetime as it is. And I get, you know, we'll have hunters come out on our boat and they're, you know, they're from all over the United States. And I try and stay up to date with, like you said, the application process, the point systems, the different type of bonus points and all kinds of stuff. But it's just, I mean, every state has their different systems. They're all the wrong way. <laughs> That's just, the, it's just, it's crazy trying to keep up with that. And, you know, it's hard to, like you said, you can put that, put that money towards a trip up here. And, you know, it's what a lot of people do for, you know, a once in a lifetime trip where we have the access to do it yearly. And I mean, one of my favorite podcasts I listen to the hunt back country podcast put on by the, uh, exo mountain gear guys, uh, in a recent episode, they were talking about mountain goat opportunities and, oh shoot, I forgot what state they were referring to, but it was $2,800 to for your tag and you have to pay that up front. You're refunded if you don't get it. And it's just, you know, mind boggling that, you know, if you want to put in for, you know, certain States, I had a bunch of roommates at college that, uh, hunt Colorado and, uh, one of my good buddies, he's got, you know, 12 preference preference points saved up for mule deer, 14 for elk, this and that. I'm just like, man, I just, I couldn't imagine having to, you know, put in and wait for, you know, a decade, a decade and a half to draw a tag and just, you know, steadily pumping money into something just for, you know, one week later, you know, in, in three years, your opportunity to get one tag to spend one week out in the woods. And I just feel like that system sets you up for, you know, all around disappointment. Cause even when, you know, if you save up 20 years for a tag and say you shoot a 380 inch bull, that is a huge trophy, awesome bull. But if it's in a unit that you were expecting to shoot a 400 inch bull, you're, you know, you're going to be disappointed. And it just, I think it creates this kind of, uh, you know, a loser's mindset all around where, you know, you're stuck on the hamster wheel. And then when you get off, it's like, well, that wasn't, what I expected or that was disappointing. We only saw three animals the whole trip and didn't tag anything. And, you know, I feel yeah. like so many people up here spend too much time kind of chasing the dragon of trying to, you know, take advantage of other opportunities when it's like, shoot, go, go hunt moose in your backyard, go to, you know, go to your local sporting goods store, pick up your harvest ticket and spend that, you know, same time, energy and money into scouting around, you know, your, your own neck of the woods. Or like you said, spend a trip, uh, plan out a trip to go up North to the Brooks range. You, I mean, world-class caribou, sheep, moose, brown bear, whatever, you know, whatever tickles your fancy and just, you know, exploit Alaska for what it has. Cause it's almost a, uh, miss service to not take advantage of it as a resident when, you know, there's plenty of people out there that would be chomping at the bit to take advantage of it. Yeah. I, I think one of the unfortunate byproducts of having so much content and so many, you know, great stories to listen to is that it, it makes, it makes us compare ourselves to who we could be. And it's unreasonable. And we start to look at our hunting resume as this, you know, how many, hunts have we been on how many states and you know how many inches have we killed rather than you know are you enjoying yourself you know like you don't have to start checking off states you can go to the same you know decent unit and just have a great experience year in year out but that doesn't necessarily make for the best copy or the best podcast because you're now out there you know doing all these other things and i think that puts us on an on an just unreasonable expectation 
road. And I just, I don't think that's, that's necessarily healthy for us. Cause I think we could be looking at, like you said, what's the premium. I drew this premium tag. I have to get a premium animal. Otherwise, if I tell people I drew this or, and I'm really excited about it and then it ends up being, you know, not coming to fruition, then we can look like it's a failure. I'm sure people that come up to Homer and they go out on a charter and they catch an 80 pound halibut, you know, that's a nice fish. That's, you know, mm-hmm. the upper end of the best eating halibut. But Homer is, if it's got 200 pounds, then, you know, did you even, did you even fish Homer? Yeah. You know, there, there's the expectation. Same thing down here in Southeast. If you're not going out on the charter and catching a 50 pound king salmon, what'd you do? If you don't go to the Kenai and catch a 30 pound rainbow, you know, was the trip even worth it? And I think, the more that we do that to ourselves and the more we, I have to go to Wyoming, and get a massive bull and a massive mule deer. And then I have to go get a massive antelope somewhere else. And shoot, you know, we're thinking about that the entire time. We're just enjoying what's around us. And I think that could be a, a definite trap. And so being able to kind of train our, our mind and look for new experiences and fun experiences, but not pigeonhole ourselves into, you know, this, hunting resume or this fishing resume that's just unattainable no that's something that i've personally struggled with with clients we get uh on our deer hunts over in kodiak because like you said there's so much content available and people go out you know they start planning a trip and i mean i think everybody should do this i do it myself you know i love to get excited for whatever i'm doing if i know you know like this this fall, I'm starting my process to try and become uh, a mountain guide. And, you know, I'm just all jacked up on sheep hunting. I can't get enough sheep content. But uh, in regards to like our deer trips, our hunters will plan a trip and they start just consuming as much content as they can. And they're like, oh, uh, I can buy three over the counter tags. And, you know, they get this kind of mental picture of it's just going to be Boone and Crockett animals covering the hillside and you know they they show up and instead of taking a hunt that's you know a truly amazing experience in a you know unique part of the world with you know access to hunting fishing waterfowl you know just immaculate views all this stuff great company great food it turns into a lot of times like oh man this this isn't what I expected or this you know I thought the third be more animals or bigger animals or this or that and you know it just kind of and then I shouldn't say this happened this happens a lot less often than the opposite the latter which you know very thankful for but there's you know just seeing one person's trip being ruined over like missed expectations due to you know social media influence or just unrealistic expectations is just you know super disheartening and unfortunate because they miss out on what was their trip of a lifetime and this dream trip that they planned out to turning into like, it was a good trip, but, and it's like that, you know, that yeah. mindset of, you know, trying to, you know, it's gotta be perfect or it's got, you know, the imperfections are what make it perfect. Our black bear trip we did two weeks ago, you know, I wouldn't have changed anything. It was a great trip, but we were miserable for at least one evening of it. I lost a $2,000 spotting scope. We, you know, had, you know, picked the wrong trails at times and, you know, beat brush, but that's what it's all about. It's about, you know, the, 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, <laughs> it's about you know those are the times you look back on and enjoy. You know the what the trips that take thirty minutes and you shoot a world class animal and you have somebody else pack it out for you. That's you know where's the fun? Where's the joy in that? <laughs> yeah, I got I got to I got to know at least a little bit more about this losing a two thousand dollar spotting scope. <laughs> ugly (laughs) (laughs) oh so we'll kind of rewind a little bit so last fall we had uh on one of our deer trips we had uh, a couple gentlemen from vortex optics and euro optics come out on the boat and at the end of the trip uh paul nice huge shout out to paul nice awesome uh guy from vortex been with them before they were even vortex optics awesome awesome person um but as a gift or tip to me and our other crew member, we got to pick something off their website and I needed a new spotting scope. That was my choice. And after all winter, you know, using it at the range, enjoying it, it was finally time to break it out for a hunting season. And the first day of our trip, or I guess the first two days of the trip, you know, I, I keep my tripod strapped to my pack and my spotter in my pack. Um, and all trip, you know, if I, we had to verify something, you know, pull out the uh, tripod, unzip the pack, you know, take the pack off, unzip it, this whole myriad of stuff. And by the, you know, Sunday, the, our last day of the weekend, I was like, man, there's, this is just inefficient. There's got to be a better process. And we, you know, had a pretty mild hiking day that day. So I was like, oh, I'll just keep it on the tripod, keep it on my pack. And we were working up this uh, uh, ridge line up this, um, uh, canyon and it was a pretty it was a mild mild hike decent you know real good cleared out moose trail not a ton of uh brush in the way but there's still some here and there as we're making our way up you know we're probably 800 foot into this 1400 foot climb and you know going through some some trees some willows and stuff and um you know everything's going fine and I go under this tree this you know kind of tilted over spruce, go under it, kind of hang up my rifle on it, hang the, what ended up being the spotter, which I didn't realize. And it had come loose. Don't notice it at first, you know, take a couple more steps, look over my shoulder and notice there's no spotter on my ball head of my tripod. And, uh, I stopped Sean kind of looks back and he's like, know what's going on i'm just kind of looking over my shoulder waiting for him to notice and he's like you know what we're good like let's let's keep hiking i was like uh my spotter's gone and you can kind of hear it crashing through some uh brush as we're you know standing on this probably you know like i said we're about 800 to a thousand foot into this climb and it by no means uh not steep and we can hear where it's going, but we can't see it, and we definitely can't uh, get to where it's going, unfortunately. <laughs> and so, marked it on uh, my Onyx, and that might be a part of our next weekend trip. We might spend some more time uh, hunting that same area and spending a little bit of time <laughs> trying to see if we could access where that uh, spotter kind of found its forever home <laughs> as it tumbled down, tumbled down the yeah, cave. That was hard. Spill milk. Uh, that's milk. rough. Yeah. And le- like I, you know, kind of joked in the moment was, a, you know, as one will be, you know, bummed out where, like we said, we're, we're average people, you know, we can't, uh, throw around, you know, thousands of dollars for toys all the time. Uh, but you know, my outlook was, you know, can't cry over spilt milk. It's, you know, it's done and happened now. So there's no, uh, no sense of dwelling on it. We got hunting to do. So we kind of, you know, spent the rest of the day hunting. I went 
and blew off some steam on a good uh, two mile loop around the <laughs> little canyon rim that we were on. But it's uh, it's on the to do list for later this spring to go back in there and try and try and recover it. And uh, reached yeah. out to Paul, the gentleman who gave it to me, kind of t- told him the story, kind of checked in with him and hoped he got a chuckle out of it. And he was like, well, you know, if you find it, send it back in, you know, our warranty will cover it. I was like, I was like, thank you, Paul. I'll definitely do my best. And, well, you yeah. know, luckily enough, I've got a, another spotter that I can, you know, make use of, but it was, you know, on its kind of maiden hunting voyage, it got some good work in at the range, but you know, it was a, a sad goodbye too soon. So. Yikes. But, That's rough. Yeah, no, but you know that's Alaska. It's not Alaska hunting trip. It, if it doesn't gobble up some gear, we just hope it's the yeah. the cheaper gear <laughs> next yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> just take yeah for sure. Well, how did uh, you mentioned uh, a little bit about your bear trip earlier this spring? We're still all jacked up on bear. It's actually before uh, heading over here. Reason I was uh, a little bit late uh, getting you on the phone. I was leaving my in laws' property and on the hillside behind their house saw a bear right on the edge of a nice little green patch working its way back into the willows and you know i was like oh do i reschedule the podcast and run inside and grab a bag and get after it but no i didn't want to didn't want to do that so uh ran over here but how was how did your trip go uh kind of if you don't mind dive a little into that and let the listeners know about uh your first trip of the season because i know sure. they're just as geared up as we are about the season yeah, we start to get some of that the grass shoots coming up, and so on some nice low tides, you'll have a lot of good beach exposed, and yeah, you know, you can see some bears that are out flipping rocks for for crabs and whatnot, eating mussels and uh, eating some of those fresh shoots of grass that are coming up. And so whenever that starts to happen, you get pretty excited, and sometimes you can get some of these big boars that show up, you know, early, yeah, mid to mid to late April. So we went out, uh, took my buddy Skiff. Um, about 40 minutes from town and we pulled into a nice uh, bay that's got a pretty big tidal swing so lots of, of open area but it makes it kind of tough because you know if you need to get up the tidal flat obviously if it's if it's low tide you're not going to be you know, it's a long stinking hike and so if the wind's not cooperating it's be kind of tough but uh, so we just glass for a couple hours and then the Late evening, something came out, and there was a little bit of light left, but we had to start moving, so we, we just took got off, and we didn't really get a good, like, mark of where it was. We didn't look for something that was in the area that we could kind of key on as we were moving around, and, and so as we kept going, we'd, we'd, we'd worked our way pretty quick, and we put the glasses back up and just kind of look and see, well, I think it's there, and just kept going, kept going, ended up being a lot further than we thought. By the time we got back there, there was hardly any light left, and we couldn't see anything. So uh, we figured that it was down in this little creek bed that had washed out or eroded the beach a little bit more than, than it, it looks like. There's, so there's more texture. If you're looking at an Onyx and you look at it or Google Earth, it looks you know, like there's a little bit of texture. But once you get there, you can see that some of that texture can just swallow an entire bear. So we saw the back of it as it was moving and it was probably just fading across this narrow spot. But uh, like I said, by the time we got back there, there was hardly enough daylight to do anything. And then we didn't see anything. Um, but the wind stayed good the whole time. So I don't know if it just, just kind of fed across or fed back in or what happened there. But um, 
uh, weren't able to, to get a shot or even really, you know, really get uh, close to, to make, feeling good about anything really or getting set up. So uh, the next morning we uh, glassed around for a little bit, but the wind was going in the opposite direction. So uh, we still glassed and glassed area, different areas of the inlet. And rather than just kind of take the skiff and go and try to hit as many inlets as possible, we just wanted to stay here because we know there's some, there's some nice bears around there. and Just kind of enjoy being out there. You know, when you take the skiff and you're moving and always going, you kind of get beat up a little bit more. And even though it's sunny and and warm once you get going you get kind of that cool breeze and it's kind of chilly so we just decided to let's hang let's let's eat let's snack let's laugh and just enjoy it so this weekend we're going to go to a different spot and we might be a little bit more aggressive might move around a little bit more but you know who knows if it's a nice day sometimes it's nice to just kind of relax and glass and see what happens be patient no, and that's that's a beautiful thing about bear hunting up here in the spring, at least in, you know, southeast and south central Alaska, because you do get to do a lot of, you know, kind of just beach combing from from the skiff or, you know, watching those tidal flats. That's kind of the terrain we were hunting. We were hunting ahead uh, of Kachemak Bay and, uh, you know, big mud flats up there. There wasn't quite an, uh, a lot of fresh greenage down low like i said it was still pretty early this was two weeks ago now and but working the little finger canyons off there of the bay but that's kind of for a lot of you know hunters down south it's a real foreign concept of just kind of you know pretty much hunting from the boat a lot of times you know heading up into the bays and sitting there as the tide goes out glassing all the you know open open dead cottonwood bottoms with you know the fresh uh, sprouts coming up and um, so for that, when you guys were, uh, in the skiff, were you guys going up kind of to the tide line or, and, you know, getting out of your skiff, sending it out with a, uh, drop down anchor setup, or do you go ahead and let your skiff go dry at low tide? How do you kind of navigate the tidal swings down there? This is a pretty good spot that has a pretty nice open sections of mud. So if you do let it go dry, you know, you're not going to be on a whole bunch of rocks. You're not uh, in danger. You put out plenty of scope. So when it does go dry, um, you feel good about it. But when the tide comes back up, it's not going to lift the anchor, do anything weird or get you on some rocks. So uh, we let it go dry. And uh, he had a kayak. My buddy had a kayak and we were going to camp in this spot. And so we went to this spot Um Dropped off our stuff, dropped off the kayak, let the, uh, let the boat go dry and just glass. And we didn't get back in the boat to move around until the next day. So it was just kind of right out there in front. We didn't do too much hiking until we made that move. But yeah, for the most part, um, there's two ways to do it. Some people just go driving around in the skiff until you see something and then, then try to make a move. And, uh, some people do the, um, uh, anchor buddies, that long bungee with a, you know, 10 pound ball or something like that. So you, you nose in and then you drop everything off and then you tie a rope off uh, to the shore and that anchor buddy, the elastic will kind of pull it out a little bit. That'll give you some time. You can't go too long, but it'll at least give you an opportunity to get off the boat um, and, um, and make a move if, if need be. Um, or you can do what we did and just, we're going to be in this area. Um, and either anchor it up, let it go dry, or 
you know, just if it's high tide and drop the anchor or drop me off and then uh, go back out, anchor, and then um, kayak in. But, uh, yeah. You know, I'm always curious of how individuals go about that because, like, for our boat, we've got a 48-foot uniflight with uh, – we have a – like a 14 foot inflatable skiff that we dropped down with a little kicker on it. And, you know, everybody has their own ways of going about it. And that's a question that I get a lot personally. It's just kind of, you know, people coming down and they're like, yeah, I want to hunt, you know, catch Mac Bay or, you know, just, uh, the Homer area in general. And they're like, how do I, you know, what do I do with my boat? Like, what, how do I, you know, how do I deal with the tides? And that's kind of what I tell them. I was like, you got, well, you got a couple options and these are, you know, the ways to go about it. And I usually give my recommendation, which is what you guys did is, you know, find a spot, you know, cruise around, find a spot that you think you'll be able to hunt for a good, you know, day or two and, you know, figure out what the bottom is, let your skiff go dry, get what you need out of it. Just, you know, take the proper precautions to not, you know, do anything dumb to your skiff. Make sure, you know, if you've got a 28 foot, you know, fiberglass boat, don't go letting it go dry in certain spots. You know, it's definitely more of, uh, the way to go. If you've got a smaller aluminum skiff or, uh, you know, that kind of style setup. but that's definitely always my recommendation. Cause you know, I always, I like to have my boots on the ground. I like to be able to move and not limit myself to, you know, just cruising the shorelines and, Plus, you know, especially this time of year, you'll catch a lot of a lot of those bears up kind of by the snow line too. you know, glassing up on the hillsides, those south facing slopes and being able to make that play up the mountain if you want, as long as you've got good thermals and good wind. Um, but no, that sounds like sounds like it was a good trip. Do you guys get a uh, what's your shrimping season like down there? Is that any of that open for you guys right now? Yeah, we got shrimp open and that can be pretty fun, but. We were thinking about that. You know, you take a couple of crab pots. This is a pretty good crab area that we went to, and we're thinking about doing that. But this is just a 16-foot skiff, and so by the time you have your camping gear and then you add a couple of crab pots, if you have a shrimp pot, you know, you end up doing none of the things very well. It's <laughs> too crowded. So, you know, we're just – we didn't even bring a crab pot or a crab ring. Um, but those are definite possibilities, and sometimes, you know, if you're out with some buddies that have a bigger boat, then, then you try that stuff. But – I was going to add that I think another important thing with scouting, and I, I wrote an article for Rockslide about this, was um, you use OnX or base maps or whatever to scout an area, but scouting where you can anchor is so important too. If you get into one of these inlets and the OnX picture or the satellite photo on OnX has you going all the way up there at a high tide, if you get up back somewhere uh, on an 18 and the next high tide is 16, you might end up being out there for a whole of the tide cycle. Oh, so if yeah. you look at like a Navy, a Navionics or one of those apps that shows, you know, what happens at low tide. And you could be in this area that looks like there's a lot of water. It looks like it'll be fine. But no, that thing is, you know, that's one to two feet. And it can be one to two feet for a half a mile or even a mile. So you think you can get all the way back into this creek area, but that is not the case whatsoever. And based on what happens with the tides, you could be, you could be stranded for a little bit. So in addition to scouting the land, you know, it's important to have an idea either by looking at charts or looking at Navionics or some other sort of app that's going to give you an idea of what the marine um, scouting looks like or, or what the what the bottom of the water looks like. That's, that's so important if you're looking at where you're going to anchor and if it's going to be viable. 
No, that's a great point. And I feel like that's something that, I mean, even for locals up here is can be completely overlooked because, I mean, I have a personal story I'll go ahead and tell real quick, kind of covering that our first, uh, my first summer up here, uh, we had taken our boat out and we were doing like a four day fishing trip and we took our skiff down and we were in uh, Port Graham across the bay here. Uh, on the Kenai Peninsula and it was high tide and I didn't, you know, I was shoot 15, 16 at the time. Didn't, you know, didn't know two things about the tide. My only exposure to that was fishing the Gulf coast down in Texas where our big tide swings were like four inches, you know, not a, <laughs> not 32 feet at times. And, uh, yeah. took the skiff up and I knew there was a little, uh, river at the head of this uh, bay. And I was like, Oh, I know there's going to be salmon running up there. And, you know, putted the skiff up there and sure enough, you know, it was high tide. I was able to get shoot probably a mile, mile and a half up this river. And so, I mean, it was something like out of natural geographic, granted they were all pinks and chums, but you could just about walk across the back of these salmon. And it was just an awesome experience. We were just, you know, catching loads of fish and then we had a couple aluminum skiffs come zip up the river a little ahead of us and I was like oh this is cool you know this is this is where the look you know we're in the honey hole this is where all the locals are fishing this is awesome and you know those skiffs were up there for about an hour and then they zip by and I was like man why, where are they going like you know the fishing's still hot I, you know <laughs> what some fishermen these guys are you know and we keep fishing a couple hours go by and we're like well man the river's starting to get a little lower we should probably head back like you know the tide must be going out and we made it about 200 yards before we hit the first gravel bar that we couldn't cross and then proceeded to have to take the outboard off our skiff and carry our skiff a good mile Ooh. mile and a half back out to the you know where channel started to deepen and get back into the bay and so our cool little honey hole turned into a nice little uh gravel bar real fast and turned a you know 10 minute skiff ride into a three hour team navy seal boat carry <laughs> uh, yeah and you know that's, yeah, and there's go it, ahead it ends up being a good story but man there's sometimes when you think i don't want great stories you know i want <laughs> things to just be they either worked out or they didn't. I, I don't necessarily want epic. You know? I don't <laughs> want to attempt that. I don't, I don't need to have my crazy survival story. I, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, exactly. No, and that's definitely one of those lessons you learn once and hopefully only once because you're like, man, that is yeah. a – pain and you know it was one of those we probably could have you know probably our better bet would have just been to hang out keep catching fish till the tide came back it was you know right around solstice we had all the sun in the world but you know there's there's some lessons you got to learn the hard way and you know there's like like I was mentioning earlier, there's not a lot of content around, you know, stuff like managing the tides. And so especially having an article written like in a forum such as rock slide, where, you know, you're getting a ton of eyeballs on it. That's something that's, you know, carries more value than you could ever think. Cause so many people, we had another incident that just this last uh, spring, right about this time we were out uh, transporting black bear hunters and we came across a, a grandfather and his grandson uh, high and dry. They had a real nice, looked like a brand new, like 28 foot, you know, ocean, um, Hughes craft. And it was Ooh. high and dry on the beach. And I took my skiff over there, checked on them. I was like, Hey, you know, you guys all right. You know, you guys camping out here. They're like, well, we are now we weren't planning on it, but you know, <laughs> we drove down from Anchorage. We were checking this out and you know, the tide went out on us and 
you know, we're kind of, we're kind of stuck. And I was like, well, do you guys, you know, do you have any water, stuff like that? I was like, we've got, you know, we had just geared up for a week long trip. We had, you know, tons of grocery and water on the boat and we were, you know, if you need anything, let us know we're on, you know, we're on channel 69, just holler. We'll be in the, you know, just the cove over. So if you need anything, let us know. And they were, you know, super appreciative, but they just kind of, they took their lickings like, you know, they had to, they were like, yeah, we kind of, kind of screwed up and this is where we're going to hang out till the next high tide. And, you know, it's yeah. just one of those things you can overlook real easy and it turns an awesome weekend into a not so awesome weekend real fast. Yeah, I had some friends who they let their skiff go dry on an area that was pretty rocky. Uh, they, they figured they're just going to go in there real quick. They're going to do a quick hunt, but it took a little bit longer. And so as the tide was going out, they thought, well, we can't wait through the entire tide. We got to go now. And so they, they pushed the skiff down into the water and it, you know, kind of those older skiffs at some point, those rivets and that, that aluminum can be damaged. And, you know, it, it got, it got a little bit compromised. And later on that winter, uh, we had a, a couple of freeze thaw cycles and then the little boat ended up sinking up the dock. And, you know, and one of my buddies was like, yeah, man, I think it goes back to when we, we pushed it over rocks to get it back in the water. And, you know, the long-term effects of that, sometimes it's just a matter of, oh, oh, this sucks, it's too bad, so we had to wait for the tide, and there was no big deal because it was mud or whatever. Learned our lesson versus, you know, there could be consequences that are more than just almost missing the tide and having to do work. It could end up being, you know, we did some damage to the boat, and if we don't repair it, it could be a problem later. Without a doubt, and I mean, you know, luckily, you know, or still unfortunate, but luckily it happened at the dock with nobody around, I'm sure. But, you know, yeah. all it takes is, you know, like you said, push it across some rocks, pop a rivet or two. And, you know, like you said, you were 40 minutes from town on your last weekend trip. You get, you know, out in the middle of the, you know, inlet or bay there and all of a sudden start taking on water and don't have an adequate, you know, bilge pump or anything to bail. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it could be a gorgeous day. It could be 70 degrees outside. But the Alaska the Alaska waters aren't, you know, aren't the friendliest place. That's definitely definitely not a not anywhere you want to be when you don't have to be and you know it turns that that turns a you know fun weekend into a real crappy weekend real fast so no it's a safety thing over everything especially with you know it might might suck sitting out for eight to twelve hours waiting for a tide but you know beats beats freezing (laughs) you know drowning yeah just enjoy the weather and that's that's the thing too. You want to be cautious and learn your lesson, but at the same time, you don't want to be so scared that you never do anything again. You know, it's okay. I learned my lesson, made it back. I don't want to be so timid that, you know, I don't take any risks. It's not that you want to take risks for bad risks, but at the same time, you know, you want to not do anything again because you're too worried. Mm-hmm. You never want to, you know, give yourself that paralysis by fear because exactly that. And then you'll never, you'll never experience the things you want to, but there's that, you know, kind of that fine line. I always tell people, you know, every, t- every experience, you should push yourself about 10% outside your comfort zone, but you know, don't go 15 because all of a sudden things can get mm-hmm. squirrely and dangerous real quick. You know, you want to, yeah. you want to push yourself and better yourself, but you know, at least have the ample equipment to fix your screw ups, uh, whatever they, you know, come. 
Yeah, t- ten can go to twenty pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. especially up here. Uh, there's been many a times I'm like, oh, I could, I could get up to that little point or that little ridge, and then you're about halfway up, and you're like, yeah, I don't know if I could get down this. Thing. That's a lot farther than I thought it <laughs> yeah. was. Yeah, found myself yeah. in a situation like that over on Adak this uh, in February. We were doing a caribou hunt, and it was the tail end of the trip. We had been super blessed, and our group had killed. A ton of caribou had loaded up on meat and last day I was out chasing some ptarmigan and there was kind of a about like what you consider like a rock quarry what looked like a old gravel pit and there is a little group of like three ptarmigan just way up on this rock face and you know got got my little inner mountain goat out and decided to you know shoot, climb up this rock face and about two-thirds of the way up everybody in my hunting party's like get back down here you know you're gonna you know break your neck over a bird and this and that mm-hmm. as you know rocks are sliding down the hill space and you know i wasn't in a situation i personally felt uncomfortable in but it was you know a situation that put everybody else around me in an uncomfortable state so i figured you know that might be you know better better to fight another day live and fight another day than you know go down as a as a hero on adac over <laughs> over a white bird <laughs> yeah for sure Oh no. So, uh, for, we've got a bunch of listeners that are getting ready, gearing up to go on a, a hunting trip with Swoboda charters. And, um, they've kind of, they've been asking us a bunch of hunting questions around black bear. And I kind of wanted to ask you, like, what are some kind of, un uh, I don't want to say like unspoken truths about spring black bear, but what are like kind of some overlooked items you think people just generally uh, overlook when they're hunting spring bear on coastal Alaska? I think people get maybe a little bit too caught up in, and yeah, you know, I've only been hunted for seven, eight years. But like I said, I grew up here. And so I, I learned a lot about bears just, from you know growing up here fishing and whatnot um is that you see them at any time of day we get really focused on evenings 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 and just hunt the evenings and during the day is an opportunity to just take a nap and relax and go back to camp or whatever but you know you see bear all times of day they can be coming down out of the woods to to flip rocks they could be coming down to you know if it's really hot to to just take a dip you know and get cooled off in the water um as the sun moves a little bit, there could be a shady area. So, you know, I think um, hunting all day is an important thing. You don't have to be super aggressive and wear yourself out, but you definitely don't have to wait for evening, you know, and, you know, the more you're just kind of glassing and the, the better off you'll be. No, I think that's a great point. Because the old saying goes, you can't catch fish unless your line's in the water. Yep. Can't, yeah. can't shoot if you're not out hunting. Yep, can't kill them from the yeah. couch. Yep. No, that's a that's a yeah. great point. I definitely, you know, I I fall victim to kind of preaching the, you know, the afternoons, and I try and always try and preface it with, you know, like you said, you can't kill them from the couch. You've got to be out there to, you know, have an opportunity. And uh, no, I think I personally get caught up with, uh, you know, focusing on the afternoons. I, you know, whenever me and Sean are out hunting, we try and spend, you know most of the day out there you know we take the opportunity to sleep in a little bit just since we do have long days and we're out late into the evening but no like you said just being out there 
all day or, you know, most of the day, take advantage of it. Don't let yourself get caught up with, like you said, spending only the last four hours of the evening out, you know, glassing or, you know, cause you don't, like you said, you don't have to wear yourself out. You don't have to cover 10 miles, but you know, set up a little nice little glass and knob, make a little lunch and just sit behind your binos. You never know what's going to, you know, get out and about, especially this time of the year. There's not a ton of feed available. You know, green grass is starting to pop up. They've got more options, but there's not a berry crop yet. There's no salmon running. So they're, they're covering a lot of ground. They're traveling a lot. They're, you know, you never know when something's going to, you know, pop up and, you know, right in front of you. You could have been looking at the same hillside for four hours, look away for 20 minutes, come back, and there's a blacked out right in the center of that field that you've been, you know, staring at the last five hours. It totally happens. Yeah. And I think that's one of the nice things about hunting down here is that most of the stuff is done coastal. I'm not sure many people are doing much hunting um, not on the beach. And so the benefit of being down here is that you can just watch the beach. And another benefit of that is if you are paying attention and you're looking, you have the opportunity to get something in maybe the early afternoon or, or afternoon. And then you can, you don't have to worry about going into the woods as light is starting to get, uh, you know, I mean, it's starting to go away and you're looking for a wounded bear in the dark, you know, or having to wait, you know, and come back the next day. If, if you are diligent, you're hunting through the afternoon and you happen to get an opportunity in the afternoon, you know, you can be processing that, processing that thing and be back to the boat or back to the truck, you know, with daylight left, which is always an awesome thing. And that, that should be a motivator enough to, to hunt the afternoon so that you don't put yourself in a position where you're in the woods at dark, hiking back in the dark, or having to wait uh, to give it time in case you're archery hunting or you're not sure you did, you got a great shot. The last thing you want to do is is just push the thing. Um, those things can, they can absorb a bullet. So, Without a doubt. And, you know, like you had mentioned earlier, yeah, if you get, you know, get one early in the day and then go pull crab pots all afternoon. Nothing better yeah, than having yeah. a, you know, bear pelt on the wall and a belly full of Dungeness crab. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's, yeah. that's an incentive in all of itself. One other thing I'd like to touch, you'd mentioned, you know, down southeast, y'all are hunting primarily, you know, you've got tons of, I mean, it's an archipelago down there. You've got tons of different inlets, bays, beaches you can hunt. And it's similar here, but we also, you know, let, like for an example, I've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast before, but we had a hunt last year and it's one of the, one of the things a lot of our hunters get in their mind, you know, it's a coastal Alaska black bear hunt. Everybody imagines, you know, beach hunting, cruising the beaches, catching them in those big open flats on the beaches, which, I mean, I'd say probably 80%, 85% of the bears we harvest are taken that way. But we see a ton here up, like I mentioned earlier, kind of at that snow line in those kind of avalanche shoots, those south-facing hillsides where, you know, they're getting, you know, those either windblown areas or where some snow sloughed off early in the season, getting big green patches. And we had a day where from the boat I spotted 26 or so bears in an afternoon and not a single one of our hunters on the boat, you know, wanted to make a play on them, which I mean, they had their, they had their mindset up on a, you know, beach hunt, which more power to them. Luckily every hunter, you know, got an opportunity, you know, and got a shot off on a bear on that trip, but don't, neglect you know getting you know getting some miles on the boots if you see a bear even if it's you know five six o'clock in the afternoon late may early june 
you still got seven hours of usable daylight yeah. and you can cover a lot more ground than you can think. Uh, you know, a lot of times it is going to be thick and nasty, but if you've got a good reference point of where those bears are and you know, it's right above, you know, the tree line, just kind of bust, butt, keep the wind good and get up high. And when you get to see a different vantage point of everything, kind of get an Eagle eye of, uh, you know, your surrounding area. So it's always nice just to get a, another vantage point of the area you're hunting but also there's a lot of bears up there especially you know those big old boars if they can you know they can control an area and kind of push away younger bears they can make a living up there eating you know grubs and rooting up roots eating all the fresh grass up there and a lot of times those bears won't come down until they have to if they can kind of bully other bears out of their area and just kind of hang out near you know especially early season hang out near their den so if there's a cold spell they just kind of tuck back away out of the weather but i feel like that's a, a missed opportunity by a lot of hunters in south central since we do have a lot of you know kind of mountain fingers that run run along our bay systems here Mm -hmm. so uh when is sorry i just had a had a train of thought and that uh left the station (laughs) so let me regather my thoughts real quick um goodness gracious sean say some words while my brain resets when is your prime season when do you because ours comes around about this time when everything starts to green up a little bit, how's it look down there for you? It's about this time. I think it the, the prime season is whenever you get a shot, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, as soon as you get really excited at the very beginning and some of those bigger boars are the first ones to come out. And so you get really excited and it's fun. But, you know, by the time May rolls around, you know, and, you know, I've talked about the evenings aren't the only time to get there. They are the, the times where you get the best concentration of, of bears down here. Um, but if you're looking for something that has a really nice hide, then the chances of them being rubbed as you get later to May, is, is just, you know, it's going to happen. So um, <clears throat> prime to see a bear might be a little bit later, more the mid to late May, because they're all up, they're all moving. And because there's so much grass on the beaches there, they're, they're really all, all the way down there. Um, but yeah, I think once, once you, once it turns into May, early May can be just an awesome spot. And then I think maybe because you start to get more hunters that are up here in, uh, in May and then June and in June, you don't have to, uh, harvest the meat and the hide. So yeah. some of the people are looking up here to get the hide, but not necessarily the meat. And so you start to get more hunters out there. And so you have more just traffic in some of these areas, um, so I think the prime for locals would be before you get a lot more of that uh, activity and you can kind of enjoy these endless by yourself. Definitely. We get a lot of pressure come June, end of May, June. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially being here in Catch Bay, lots of tourists come in and, Plus a lot of boat traffic. We get a lot of yeah. guys that'll, you know, they'll just take the skiff out for the last couple of evenings of the uh, day and just go run the inlets and kind of, there's just like, a, there's a lot of traffic that gets going and it just kind of pushes bears kind of, you know, off, off the beaches and just kind of adds, you know, more pressure. And anytime you get that, you know, abundance of pressure, it's just going to make things a little squirrely. You know, the same place you're hunting yeah. bears, people are hiking, people are fishing the exact same places. Mm-hmm. Bears want to be down there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
do you guys run into the issue once because like here pretty much mid-june once your alders and your willows start getting greening up and you just get the full force of the alaskan summer just greening everything up is that pretty much the end of y'all season is it just does it make it unhuntable to an extent because here by that time of the year like we just mentioned, we get a lot of pressure. The bears aren't necessarily there on the beaches. They're spending a lot more time a little higher in elevation. And by that time of the year, it's just hard to navigate the hillsides. It's hard to get through the brush and to where it's, you know, you can definitely still get it done, but it's just, it makes it more difficult. Is that kind of the same uh, timeline for you guys down there? Or do y'all still get a lot of bears down on the beach and able to kind of squeeze a little more out of your season? Yeah, we're able to get a lot out of the season just with the, the amount of, of beach that we have. Like you said, there's just so many different islands with so many different nooks and crannies and small little spots. And you can have, a, a, I've seen some really nice bears on you know, patches of, of grass that are, you know, 20, 25 yards wide. It's not even like huge grass flats that drain uh, big salmon rivers in the, in the fall. So, um, yeah, into June things taper off. I think a lot of the locals have, have made their move by that point. And, um, you know, it's, the hides are going to be pretty rubbed. Um, so you can get them, but I think the excitement is definitely going toward King salmon fishing. So I'm not sure if it's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bear hunting, the bear hunting is not as good or people are just kind of over and have moved on to the next thing. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of get eclipsed by those big summer Kings. Yeah. By June, I'm already <laughs> yeah. down at the river every day after work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well yeah. on the topic of, uh, cause you'd mentioned, you know, at the point of the season where it's a, you know, you're only required to bring the hides out. Do you personally enjoy bear meat? And what's, uh, if, if so, what's kind of your go-to recipe, uh, for bear meat? I got a buddy who is so good at, um, summer sausage. And I, he just makes some fantastic sausage and, and chorizo. I've, I've done some chorizo and it's been okay, but mostly I've just kind of done, like small fajita type stuff, cook the hook the heck out of it. It hasn't been great, um, but you know the sausage is definitely the way to go. And my my buddy's summer sausage is just it's just phenomenal. So I'm mostly motivated to get a bear with him so we can split the meat and make the sausage out of it, make chorizo out of it. So that way you can have you know the prime cuts of, of blacktail and ground that and and I don't want to say waste blacktail to make uh, sausage, but you know sausage covers up the meat so much more. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to cover the flavor of the meat, you might as well use like a, a black bear rather than premium black tail for that. No, exactly. And I feel like that's kind of the general consensus around the hunting world uh, is, you know, a form of either, you know, spicy breakfast sausage, a good summer sausage, or one that I really want to try that I've had, cause I've only gotten to have black bear a handful of times. And, um, but I really want to try a good, like, pressure-cooked, canned black bear. Mm. I heard that can be delicious when uh, prepared properly. And then I've got a buddy uh, who he just got back into town, and he's itching to get out in the woods. But he really wants to try and make uh, some pastrami, age some pastrami out of a mm. black bear ham. And uh, real curious to try that. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those, like, you know, he's gung-ho about it, and I'm, you know, I'm excited for him to make it and to try it. Yeah. But uh, Be supportive. Exactly. 
exactly. I'm not uh, not going to set my bar too high on it, uh, just because uh, I love you, Vince. But uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I love pastrami, and if we could do a bear pastrami, that's even better. Oh. Mm. But no. Uh, be before we before we wrap up here, I want to. You know, I don't want to eat up too much of your time. I know it's getting later here. Um, what's your kind of go-to favorite Alaska meat? I'm sure for me personally, I adore blacktail. I think it's one of the of the deer species for sure, probably the best. I love Kodiak blacktail. I'm sure the blacktail down southeast are phenomenal. Where what's your kind of what's your top tier Alaskan game meat? And then if you've kind of got like a top three, if you want to give those out to everyone out there listening. Unfortunately, down here in southern southeast, we don't have the robust moose population that you guys have up there. So I've had moose a couple of times, but it's not on the annual list. And so I'm blacktail for sure. I've uh, hunted caribou during that uh, winter call the herd, 40 mile herd hunt. And I really enjoy caribou, you know, super lean, a lot of fun uh, to get that. So based on what I've had, I would go, you know, blacktails right there. Moose is fantastic. Uh, I've had some elk from Edelin Island and that's, that's some awesome meat. I think elk might be, uh, it's hard. It's hard to to top elk. I mean, elk and elk and blacktail are right there. Caribou and moose are right there. You just can't really go wrong with those four. Um, but again, I haven't had so much moose that you know I've just had it a few times. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that would be you know elk and deer, and then moose caribou. Heck yeah. I yeah. If I was going to go a two tier, but I mean. It's, you can't complain. It's like a one A. <laughs> <Right. laughs> it's a a best, better, and really darn good. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. We're not we're not talking about Taco Bell meat deer or <laughs> anything like that. Yeah, desert mule deer that's been eating sagebrush for the last ten years of its life. <laughs> yeah. No, well, we might have to get you up here for uh, do a moose hunt, do a do a collaboration, do some uh, in the field podcasting here in a year or so. Get you up here and go chase some moose since y'all are lacking down in your neck of the woods. Oh, that'd be so much fun! Yeah. Ooh. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, let the listeners know uh, where they can find you. They can, you know, your podcast at the Mediocre Alaskan. But is there any other uh, forms of media you'd like them to know about? Uh, yeah, you can go to the mediocrealaskan.com. I got some hunting notes on there and I post links to all my columns with Juno Empire and then, um, got some notes about hunting caribou and hunting black bear and then uh, some of the hunting that my wife and I have done down south. And, um, because she has a PhD in ecology, she's been putting some stuff together about the, the garden she's going to try to have up here. And, um, it'll be an adventure because she's used to growing stuff down uh, south where it's not quite as wet. So it's going to be an adventure for us to try to get some some sustainable food uh, and crops growing. Um, so that's the MediocreLaskin.com. Um, like you said, the Mediocre Alaskan podcast on Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, Instagram is at Alaska Lund or at the Mediocre Alaskan. Uh, I never use Twitter anymore, and I think that uh, I think it's about it. Well, awesome! I'll definitely have to follow along with that uh, that garden. We're starting a, a greenhouse of ourselves for the first 
first summer this uh, summer, and I'm not necessarily one to have a green thumb, and my girlfriend absolutely loves it, uh, but she uh, has a propensity to overmother her plants, I think is the correct term. Uh, and so uh, one of those. I might uh, kindly suggest her to follow along with y'all's, uh, y'all's adventure with that. But it's been yeah, an absolute... Well, we, oh, go ahead. Yeah, we've also got some, some low-quality uh, YouTube uh, videos. So uh, if you want to be unimpressed uh, <laughs> with some mediocre videos, you can check out the YouTube channel too. Heck yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and love to have you on again and do it all over again. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it. Glad uh, glad you guys are getting into it and following through and having fun. Appreciate it. And if you're ever in Homer again, don't, you know, don't be shy about reaching out. We'd love to, you know, take y'all out to a dinner or something. You know, you you were a big uh big reason in us starting this podcast and, you know, like you said, it's a community up here and you know, want to continue to grow that and if, you know, you ever want to share a stream or uh, you know, moose stand, let us know and you know, never feel free uh, or never, blah, 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 never hesitate to reach out. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yep. You have a wonderful rest of your evening. You too. Take care. Will do. Ooh, another good one. Yeah. He seems really cool. No, oh, that was, that was a great, great interview. Been looking forward to it. Like I said, uh, Jeff had reached out uh, several months ago and just kind of, you know, did his welcome party to the Alaska podcast scene and it meant a lot and it was just fun to actually sit down, pick his brain and, you know, like a lot of us Alaskans, very similar mindset on a lot of things. So that's always, always fun. Well, having him reach out like that is just an eye-opening experience. You know, you're like, this is, could be like the real deal. <laughs> People listen to us. People like care about hearing my voice. Yeah. So oh. it's truly amazing. No, and it's it's fun just to know that the we are, you know, building a community around Alaska and just getting more information out there. And, you know, like we'd mentioned, it's kind of a double-sided sword because, you know, you don't want to ruin it for the people that are here. But, you know, it's it's just, you know, I'm not, we don't have that selfish mindset of, you know, it's ours, get out of here. Unless you're from California, like Jeff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but no, that was that was a good one, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely go check out his stuff. Uh, like I said, he's got a ton of podcast episodes out there covering just about everything. Uh, either it's a great listen. He, you know, good Instagram follow. He just put out a reel of his recent black bear hunt. Great, great guy to follow. Great content. He posts regularly. You know, that's a rarity in a lot of podcasts, especially up here. So, no, that's awesome to follow along. Definitely go give him a like, subscribe, and give him a rating on all the fun podcast listening stuff. And while you're doing that, do that for us as well, because it helps us with the algorithm gods. Gets our spread, uh, you know, our our funk out there. Gets our scent out in the woods. <laughs> but, no, it's been a blast. Like I said, this is the last episode from the Love Shack. We might do some some fun bonus episodes over here because it's just love fun saying Love Shack, shack baby, Love Shack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we're not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Easy with that wee stuff. 
fair. Fair, fair, fair. Oh, and to Tim, I hope you're still listening. Um, that important thing that I forgot at the beginning of the episode was to answer your question you sent me. And I didn't forget about you. I just long-term remembered it. Uh, I made up that term and that word. But <laughs> now it's real things. People listen to it. And they're like, that has to be real. Right, I'm exactly. going to use that today. Say it with confidence. People will listen right. and believe. But um, Tim is a listener as well as a client of Sabota Charters. Him and his friends are coming up for a black bear hunt here in a couple weeks. And he had a question about other opportunities to take advantage of while he's up here on his trip. They scheduled their trip to have two days on either side of their hunting trip, which is a perfect way to set up a trip like that because seven days in Alaska just isn't enough. You've got so much to do and you're never going to be able to fit it all in one trip. But, you know, the best thing you can do is to give yourself a couple bonus days because I promise you you're going to fill them. And his main question was what type of fishing opportunities they might have before and or after their trip with Swoboda Charters. And my advice to them, kind of my answer, what I told them. So they'll be flying into Anchorage, Alaska. Homer is a four to five hour drive, depending on construction and kind of how you drive it. (laughs) Um, And due to the time of the year, so they are coming mid to late May. You don't really have any salmon fishing going on. You've got maybe some early season kings starting to happen, but you do have trout fishing. And so what I told them was to definitely look into doing some trout fishing in the Cooper Landing. Sorry. In the Cooper Landing area, as well as Soldatna. And they followed up with the question of whether or not they should look into doing a guided trip or if there was any roadside access. And to answer that, yes to both. There is a ton of roadside access, but if you're going to go that route, you need to have, you know, your fishing gear brought up with you, you know, whether you fly fish or fish with a spinning reel, need that. You're generally going to need waders and, In the situation that they're in, you've got, you know, a day and a half, realistically, really one day of fishing on each side of the trip. There is a myriad of fishing guides in that area. I mean, it can be, in his words as well, overwhelming to an extent because there's a thousand, if not three, if not 5,000. It seems like everybody that lives on the peninsula has a fishing guide's license, but most of them are very reputable uh, guides. I mean, just do a little bit of digging around, call a few. And honestly, I think that's the best route to go, especially if you've got a couple hundred dollars extra in the budget to spare because generally you're looking at 300 to $400 a person for a full day trip depending on time of year and species and uh, which outfit you go with. But if you account for the price of the gear you have to pick up or the extra luggage you're going to have to pack to bring up gear, stuff like that. And just being at, you know, anytime you go with a guide, you're exponentially growing your chance of being successful. You're getting all the knowledge they have, you know, they're 
going to provide you with top of the line equipment for the, you know, most of the time waiters, you know, you're going to be going out in their boats. They're going to take care of all that. A lot of times, you know, they're going to clean your fish, uh, point you in the direction for the best way to process it and get it sent back home. And there's just a ton of, you know, resources they provide for you. And for, you know, three, $400, you know, you'll spend that on a pair of hunting pants nowadays. So, uh, I definitely recommend going that route. But don't be afraid at all to go do it DIY, especially, you know, if you've got a background in like, you know, rainbow fishing for rainbow trout or salmon and you're here during that time, there is so many pullouts, so many campsites, so much access you can take advantage of. Just be sure to check ADF and G. Yes. That, that is the biggest tip I can give anyone. There's when it comes to salmon and trout, there's closures of certain parts of the river. Not parts of others, only parts for certain species closed, openings and certain days, emergency closures. Be sure you're up to date on the days you go. Exactly. Restrictions on the type of hooks you can use, all kinds of stuff. And that's just another reason why going with a guide or outfitter, you know, they know that stuff inside and out. You know, they live it, they breathe it. They're going to take care of you there. That's just another headache you don't have to worry about. And, you know, for us living up here, we get real accustomed to the regulations and, you know, we're, we're blessed with very little regulations in some aspects, but when it comes to fishing, that's a whole different ball game up here. Say, it's, it's easier hunting bears and moose <laughs> than it is getting salmon. Yeah, no. <laughs> go go hunt a doll sheep, no problem. Go to the gas station, easy. Try and catch a trout out of the river, you better have a PhD. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to, you know, push anybody away from that, but just, you know, Read the regs. Exactly. Like Sean said, call up ADF and G. They'll take care of you. They'll walk you through it. They'll, you know, just be like, hey, I'm a non-resident. What do I need? What type of license? Um, where can I go? I plan on going here. Is that okay? I plan on using this. They'll help you out. They're there. That's their job. Take advantage of that. And don't be afraid to, you know, look into that because there's no better way to ruin a hunting or fishing trip than getting a, you know, violation right off, right out of the gate or, you know, right before you hop on a plane to head back, you know, that nothing worse than a sour taste in your mouth, like getting, you know, a wildlife violation. Tickets are bad. Yeah, exactly. Tickets are real bad. Follow the law. <laughs> know the law. <laughs> know the law. But, you know, honest mistakes happen, but just, you know, Put yourself in the best case or best position possible to not screw up, but screwing up's easy. Yeah, yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> well, guys, that's been another episode. I appreciate y'all listening, and until next week, where we're gonna do something awesome. Do we know what it is? Maybe, probably not. But that's why you gotta check in next week. <laughs> Be here next week to find out. Exactly. Do do do. Oh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you're still listening. Uh, like always, if you have any comments, questions, uh, input, you know, we always harp on. If you have questions, let us know. If you have answers to our idiocy, let us know, and we'll tell the world about it. Absolutely. If we're dumb and you call us out on it, I will happily air that on the air because <laughs> your boy is dumb. He can't read books. <laughs> not big books. Yeah. Little books are fine. Little books, lots of pictures, minimum, maximum 15 pages. We're golden. That's like a manual. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably the kind that read back to you. I couldn't even make it through my microwave instructions installing that son of a gun. Oh. Well, guys, it's been real. 
<laughs> broke it, fixed it, good to go. Exactly. Oh, uh, update before that. Sorry, guys. Uh, get new cabinets. So we're going to have to reinstall that son of a gun. So. Ah. <laughs> oh, well, that's enough about that. You guys keep it real. Stay warm. Go kill a turkey. Shoot a bear. Catch a fish. Hike a hike, climb a mountain, take a picture, send it to us. If you have any awesome spring stuff, send it to the Instagram at Michael underscore Swoboda, Average underscore Alaskan underscore podcast, or Sean underscore Louvre, and we'll throw it up on the story. If it's really cool, we might make a post about it. And if you got any other input, just let us know. Other than that, stay frosty, boys.